Numbers 21, 4 through 9, the bronze serpent. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And so Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. So kind of a way of introduction, Moses and the people of God are rounding into the final lap in the wilderness towards the promised land once again. The first time they came through to go into the land of their inheritance, they refused to go in because of their unbelief. Unbelief is another way of saying no faith. They had faith, but they didn't have faith in God. When we talk about not having faith, everyone has faith. You just have more faith in what the devil says than what God says. Ouch. Right? But you have faith in something. The doctor said, I'm going to die. The Word of God says you're going to live. Well, you're going to put your faith in one of those reports. Uh, we just want to encourage you to put your faith in God. Because God's Word is true. Let God's Word be true in every man a liar. All right? So unfortunately, they're unwilling. I'm really being blunt today. I'm sorry. I'm going to apologize beforehand. I don't know that I'm going to change. We just need a lot of grace. Okay. Anyway, unfortunately, their unwillingness to trust God in the face of their fears led to a journey of 40 years in the wilderness while the people of that unbelieving generation were laid to rest. Now, it was time for their children to move forward into the promised land, and it would be their turn to decide whether or not they would walk into and possess the promises of God for their lives. This text is what took place as they succumbed to grumbling and complaining right on the edge of going into their promise. So, first thing we want to look at is let's look at the cause of their afflictions. And again, our text from Mount Hor, they set out by way to the Red Sea, and the people became impatient on the way. You ever been impatient? You know anybody that's been impatient? We know lots of people that have been impatient. <laughs> and the people, what people? The impatient people. What do impatient people do? Many times they grumble and complain. They spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and there is no water, and we loathe this worthless food. So the people then, because of their impatience, spoke against Moses. They spoke against God. And what was the content of what they were saying? Well, basically, they were speaking lies to Moses about God and lies to Moses. Because first, they accused God and Moses of bringing them out of Egypt to die in the wilderness. Did God bring them out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? No, because actually God said in Exodus 3, 7 through 8, he's telling Moses, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land 
to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. So in Numbers 14, 21 through 23, uh, here's what happened. Uh, I mean, uh, um, yeah, here's what happened. As you know, they refused to go in, and God says, As I live, and now as all of the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these ten times, and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers, and none of those who despise me shall see it. So was it true that God wanted to kill them in the wilderness? No. God brought them to the promised land. God said, go in. The people said, no. So they're telling a fit. But in their mind, because they're impatient and they're tired and they, they're just tired of their circumstances, tired of the desert, tired of the heat, they say, no, God brought us out here to kill us. And Moses, you're, 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 you're a part of that. But that's not true. Second, they lied that they had no food or water. The people themselves said they did not appreciate any more the bread that they were being sustained on every day. So how can you not have food when you're acknowledging that you're getting fed every day? Numbers 11, 6 through 9. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. What is manna? It's food. Now the manna was like coriander seed, its appearance like that of bedellium. The people went about and gathered it and, it, and, and ground it in hand mills or beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. How often did it fall? Every morning, six days a week. And on the sixth day, it fell twice as much so they wouldn't have to gather on the seventh. As to the water situation, Moses in the previous passage had just been denied access to the promised land for his part and how he erroneously did something he shouldn't have done in bringing water to the people. Numbers 20:11. Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice and water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and their livestock. Moses shouldn't have struck the rock. God told him to speak to the rock. Moses was mad, and he struck the rock. Moses got canceled out of the promised land, but the Israelites had water. So, <laughs> what I'm trying to get you to realize is oftentimes the situation in your life isn't as bad as you think it is. It's your attitude that determines oftentimes how bad things are, right? Wow, man, things are bad. Wow, I couldn't afford to go to McDonald's today. I had to cook my own food today. You know how often people had to cook their own food? They had to go out and gather their food. They had to grow their food. They had to peel their, their food. They had to boil their food. They, had to, they, had to, they, they never drank from, you know, as bad as Lake Jackson water is. You don't have to dig a well. You don't have to pump it. You don't have to carry it for three miles on your head. So the Israelites believed the lies the enemy was sowing into their hearts, and as a result, they became ungrateful for what they did have. And they were now grumbling 
and complaining about their situation. And the Bible says that the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. John 8, 44. Now, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is the father of lies. I should have put that in a little bit low, uh, higher, but basically what I'm trying to get you to realize is the people began to come into agreement with what the enemy was saying, not what God was saying and what God was doing. And as a result of coming into agreement and starting to say what the enemy was whispering into their ears, they now were having to deal with these fiery serpents that were let loose in their midst. Okay? Second point, the consequence of their actions. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many of the people of Israel died. Now, in actuality, the words could also be interpreted as God set free fiery serpents among the people. Now, let me help you to understand that. So, are you saying that God said, okay, serpents, go get the people. Is that what he did? No, I, I don't believe that. What I believe is more like this. To me, I picture the power of God holding back the fiery serpents that sought always to get a hold of the people. When the people moved outside of the protection of God, that holding grace was no longer available to keep back the enemy's plans from their midst. I don't know if you know this, there is an enemy in the world. And he wants nothing more than to steal, kill, and destroy anything and everything in your life. Do you remember in Job where the, the devil had to come and get permission to afflict Job? Why? Because God put a hedge of protection around him. The enemy could not do anything in the life of Job until that hedge came out from under them. And what I'm trying to get you to understand is when the Israelites began to uh, uh, say the same thing the enemy was saying, then the hedge of protection, they came out from under it, and now the enemy of their souls had full opportunity to, to come against them and to do what he always wanted to do, which is to afflict them. Now, you may not like what I'm teaching you this morning, but I'm trying to teach you true, all right? In Psalms 91, 1 through 4, it says, He that dwells in the secret place of the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge, my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions or his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. So we find refuge underneath his wings. In verse 9, same, same Psalms 91, 9. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague shall come near your tent. You're under the protection of his wings. Now, I will get into a little bit later on, if not this message, somewhere down the road, that that doesn't mean you're not going to go through stuff. But for the most part, uh, you're going to be shielded from the attacks of the enemy unless there's something you can learn by being in a battle. But many times, the, uh, the, the, the battles that we go through are not because God wants us to go through. It's because we put ourselves in a position of having to fight an enemy because of the things that we do or the things that we say. Sin 
puts us outside of the grace of God. I'm not saying you're going to go to hell if you're a Christian and you fall into sin. And we're not talking about one-time sin. We're talking about the practice of sin. The more you practice sin, the more opportunity you have for the enemy to mess with you in your life because you're moving outside of God's grace and you're agreeing with what the enemy would want for your life. And when you begin to listen to the enemy, you get the fruits of what the enemy wants. And then we're surprised that we have all this affliction come our way. Now listen, I can use, I can use a very practical example. What does the Bible teach? The Bible says, if you do this, then I will do this. If we go to finances, if you give, I will do this. I will open the windows of heaven and I will rebuke the devourer, right? Now, it doesn't mean that you give, that you don't have problems, things don't come into your life, but things go a lot better for you when you obey his word. And we're talking about that particular instance than when you step outside of his word. When you step outside of his promise, then all of a sudden, God's grace doesn't protect you. And then what happens? You may be making a lot of money, but here comes the devourer. And no matter how much money you got stored up, have you ever gone to get some flour that you had in the cabinet? And he said, man, I got plenty of food. You go get some flour, and the next thing you know, you realize you can't lose that, use that flour because it's been overrun by weevils. That's what it's like when you step outside of God's grace. Well, I got stuff, but it's unusable. I can't use it. Something always happens. Something takes place. Why does all this happen? I got nothing. Because you don't put yourself underneath the protection of his wings or if you've done something to step outside of it. And again, we're not talking about, well, can I still go to heaven and still mess up? That's, that's a greater stretch than what we're dealing with here today. What we're dealing with is the people of God and why are the people of God experiencing this attack of the serpents in their lives when it says that God sent them. I think a better way of saying is God uh, lifted his protection because the Israelites chose to do that. And here comes the enemy, right? As a result, the enemy was wreaking havoc among the people. What gave the enemy access? It was their sin. Well, what did they do? Well, sometimes the Bible says um, out of the, the heart, the mouth speaks. But there's another one that's in the book of Proverbs. Is, I always refer, I got to remember how it starts to get the rest of it. Uh, life and death are in the power of the tongue. How does the rest of that go? Huh? And he that loves it shall eat the fruit of it, right? So it, we don't realize the power of our words, right? Now, we're not just talking about I made a mistake and I said, no, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Oftentimes, what we say reveals what's in our heart, okay? And so when you're grumbling and complaining, it's not just that, oh, I said a grumbling word. It's that's what's in your heart, right? And listen, what's in your heart, you'll usually experience in life. I don't know if you know this, but the Israelites wandered. It says in the book of Hebrews, they wandered in their hearts. And so if they wandered in their hearts, what was the fruit of that? They ended up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Out of the heart, 
the mouth speaks, and usually your life will be a reflection of what's in your heart. So when the Israelites were being harassed by the enemy, they did what we need to learn to do. do. Sometimes we're being tormented, not because we're in a battle. Listen, you're always going to be in a battle. Now, sometimes you'll have times of rest, periods of respite, but the reality is the Christian life is one of fighting. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. The devil cometh around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, rulers, spiritual wickedness in high places, right? So when you've done all to stand, stand firm. We're in a fight. We're always going to be in a fight, right? But sometimes we're not being, uh, 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 you know, we're, we're on the losing end because of things that we have done. Sometimes we're being tormented because we have succumbed to the temptations of the enemy, And as a result, we sin, and when we sin, we allow the enemy access to our lives. So what happens when you find yourself in that position? The Israelites can teach us something about this. The third thing we're going to look at is the confession of their sins. Numbers 21 and 7. And the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. Why did they say that, by the way? Because they were experiencing a lot of pain. And sometimes, if we were going to be honest, it's pain and the consequences of behavior that actually says something to us, i got to stop what I'm doing. Right? I keep, at some point, you know, we have the, an incredible capacity to resist change. We do. Right? Uh, uh, you ever seen the... the I've seen this before, you know, people that are on oxygen because they're struggling because they've had a lifelong habit of smoking, they're on oxygen and they're lighting up a cigarette. Right? People that are diabetics and they have uh, uh, donuts for breakfast. Now, (laughs) I'm being very extreme in in my things and a little bit, uh, you know, harsh, but the reality is I'm just trying to make a point. We have an incredible capacity to resist change, right? No matter how, until we get to the place where we realize, I've had enough of this pain. Is there anything I can do to get out of this pain? I had that kind of situation. Uh, 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 Lee is back with us this morning, and we're glad to have him back, but he asked me, how's your back? Because one of the things that Lee always does. He's, he prays for my back, and I believe I'm getting better, not just because of his prayers, but because of your prayers as well. So, uh, you know, um, I got to a place uh, where I was, uh, I was around 240, 245, and I was a lot better than what I was. I had been about 280 or more, and, but I was feeling miserable. My back hurt all the time. I was just feeling bad, and I said, I finally got to a place, and I said, I'm believing God for healing. I am, but until I see the manifestation of it, what can I do? And so I got to a place where it hurt so bad, I said, I got to do something. And when I got to that place, I lost another 40 pounds, probably about 30 now, but I've lost another 40 pounds. And, uh, but I got to hurting so bad, I had to do something. I, anything that I can do, I need to do. But the only reason I did it was because I hurt so bad. 
And sometimes, uh, uh, as much as we hate pain and we dislike pain, but sometimes it's only that pain that will drive us to change. And the Israelites were in pain. Now, I don't want anybody to go through pain. The best thing to do is do what God says. And you will minimize pain in your life. But, you know, we're people. <laughs> At least I am. I don't know about y'all, but I am. I know. I cut my finger the other day and I bled, so I'm, I'm real. We have this tremendous capacity to resist, to be stubborn. I have another message that I wrote about uh, Balaam and his, and his donkey, you know. And, uh, I, you know, we have an incredible capacity to be like a donkey. I'm not talking to y'all. I'm talking to people out there on the camera. Y'all don't have that problem, right? And some of y'all going, my husband does. <laughs> yeah. When we recognize our errors, we need to do what the people of Israel did. When they recognized they were hurting, they said, we, we, this is bad. Then they came to Moses and God and identified their sin, confessed their sin, and in so doing, repented of their behaviors. 1 John 1 and 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Who did they confess to? Well, they confess to God. I do that all the time. Well, actually, they confess to the ones they spoke against. In this particular passage, it was God and Moses. So they went to Moses, and they went to God, and they confessed and said, we messed up. Now, I'm just like you, and the last thing I want to do sometimes is say I'm sorry. But I got to a place when I'm realizing to myself, I don't want to say I'm sorry, the first thing I do is I humble myself and I say, I'm sorry. But I wasn't wrong. I've got that little voice fighting inside of me. That's not God's voice. That's the enemy's voice. The Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Submit yourself to God, then resist the devil and he will flee from you. Well, I want to I resist the devil without submitting myself to God. Or I'll submit to God, but I'm not saying I'm sorry. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. But Matthew 5, 23 also says this, 23 and 24. If you're offering your gift at the altar, we could say it this way, if you're going to church and about to enter into worship, and there remember that your brother, your mother, your spouse, your child has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, go into the foyer and call them on the phone. That's the Rick Helgero translation. First, be reconciled to your brother, sister, mother, spouse, and then come and worship. By the way, we found a phone in the parking lot. Is anybody missing a phone? It's a blue case. It's a T-Mobile phone. It was falling on the floor. Let's say he's going to lift that up. It belongs to somebody here. All right. If not, Marty, our new staff member just got a new phone. We just have to figure out how to break into it. <laughs> okay. 
So they confessed their sins. They repented. They changed. Remember, remember, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. You heard about that little kid that the teacher kept saying, you need to do this. You need to sit down. I mean, you need to stand up. I'm not standing up. You need to stand up. I'm not standing up. You need, finally, she put a little pressure on him, and he stood up. She said, so you're finally standing up. He said, well, I'm standing up on the outside, but I'm sitting down on the inside. You've got to learn how to get your heart into agreement with what you're doing. The Israelites confessed their sins. They recognized they were doing wrong. And as hard as it was, they were in so much pain and losing so many people from the serpents. They said, we got to recognize what we're doing. We need to get right with God. We need to get right with Moses. Right? Then the cure to their problems, Numbers 21, 7 through 9. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. So what happens is Moses prays for the people. Now what had the people asked for? They asked him and God to remove the serpents. Now how many of you recognize if you read the passage, God didn't do that? Didn't take the serpents out of the way. Sometimes we want God to erase all the things that we've done and all the things that happens to, uh, happened to us in the past. More often than not, that's not how God works. What he does do is he brings his incredible grace to work in our lives to minimize the effects of the consequences of, of, of the that our behaviors release into our lives and bring healing into our lives. So while God didn't take away the servants, he provided an antidote to them. And his solution required faith. Moses was told to lift up the serpent on a pole, and if anyone was bit, if they went to the pole, and by the way, the, the, the uh, implication here, the, the, the understanding here, is that they went to the pole and gazed at it. You see, they had to believe in what God said would take place was true, and then they had to act on it. If they went to the pole and gazed at it, then God said they would be healed. And I want you to know, this is faith. And this is how faith works. If y'all were bit by a serpent, you would say, call 911. Right? And we're not saying there's anything wrong with that. But if God had spoke to you and say, I want you to get over here, and I want you to go look at this pole, and if you look at this pole, you're going to live, how many of us would say, ah, that's crazy. We know that's not going to happen. I don't need a pole. I need 911. I don't need God's word. I need an EMT. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I'm not saying that God's word is in any way opposed to having an EMT. What I'm saying is we believe more in what we know to be true than what God says is true. Faith is believing what God says is true even if it's opposed to what we know to be true. Listen to what I'm saying. We had to believe what God said about salvation in order for us to experience 
the grace of God in our lives to change our lives. What the world said was it's not true. And we're surrounded by the world. Your relatives said, don't do that. Your friends said, you must be stupid. The, the, it's foolish. Everybody knows that's not. What are you got caught up in some kind of fanaticism? That's not what the world teaches. But God says, if you will look and call upon the Lord, you will be saved. You have a choice. Are you going to believe what God says? And your heart many times will tell you that what God says is true. Or are you going to deny it because everybody around you in your circumstances are saying, no. What's interesting is the Bible says that the provision was for everyone. Everyone who looked at the pole by faith would live. It didn't say some. It didn't say quite a few. It didn't say most. It says everyone. It actually said anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. So you know what that tells me? Some people didn't go look. Because they didn't believe. But if they did believe, and they went to look, and they looked by faith, and faith is what took them there to look, they would be healed. What the Bible says that the provision for is for everyone. They would find God's provision for their malady, for their affliction. It wasn't some, it wasn't most, it was God's solution for anyone and everyone. All who came to him and 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 believed his word and did what the word of God showed them to do and believed him would and were healed. Now, the Bible doesn't say if they were healed miraculously. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say if they were healed through a re recovery process. It doesn't say that. But we do know that they all received God's grace and they were all healed. We do see that sometimes today. Sometimes we pray for you and people get healed automatically, instantly. I love that. Sometimes we get prayer, and it takes a little bit of time, but over a process of time, Bobby said a little bit while ago, he said, have you noticed that whatever situation, what was the worst situation in your life, you're not in it anymore, God brought you through it? Sometimes things just gradually fall away. And if we don't put thanksgiving and gratitude where it belongs, we forget that God, because it happened over time, was the instigator of that. He doesn't always say it's going to happen right away. We're believing that it'll happen right away, but sometimes it happens over a process of time, but it's all God. What God said was if you come and look at it, you will live. He didn't say you're going to live, you know, uh, uh, pain-free from the moment you look. He just said you're going to live, and God's word is true. If they partook of God's remedy, they would live through the ordeal. And this is the way that God works today. Jesus is the fulfillment of the type of the bronze serpent illustrated for us that was lifted up in the desert. In the same way that he did back then, today as well, God doesn't remove the obstacles, the problems, the enemy from our lives. 
Matthew 7, 24 through 25. He's talking to his people. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be a wise, like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And why is that important? Because these people that had built their house on the rock were going to experience what people that didn't build their house on the rock also experienced. They were going to experience the rain. And the rain fell. And the floods came. And the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall. What makes you different from someone that doesn't put it, build his house on the rock is that when you go through stuff, you're not going to crumble. You're not going to fall. You're not going to come to pieces because it's not your strength that keeps you intact. It's his strength that keeps you intact. But he didn't promise you weren't going to go through stuff. But the point of this message is not that. The point of this message is sometimes the things that we go through are not of his making, but of our making. But whatever the case may be, Jesus is the solution for whatever has bit us in life and that is bringing its death and destruction in our lives. Jesus was lifted up that whoever would look to him in faith, by faith, repenting and confessing their sin would also receive God's grace. Psalms 103 and 3. And by the way, let me, let me just say this. The Israelites are an example to us. But for them, the serpents, they could see them. They could feel them. And they knew the reason the serpents was released into their midst was because of what they did. So when they came to Moses and they said, we recognize our sin, we confess our sin, we, don't, we, we messed up, please pray that these will go. When they left, they were still looking at the serpents. And they were thinking to themselves, I'm not going to do that again. What we do today, because we don't see the serpents, because... The devil doesn't always show up with. We come and confess at the altar, and because we don't see immediately the serpents around us, we go back and wallow in the mud of sin again. So it's not really repentance, it's a sense of sorrow, but it's not godly sorrow, because godly sorrow leads to repentance. And what is repentance? That's wrong. And I'm not going to do that again. Today, the idea of grace is, forgive me for my sins so that I can be, feel good about myself so that I can go back and sin again. No, grace does not free you from sin and the consequences of sin so you can continue in sin. Grace frees you from sin so you can come out of it. Grace doesn't empower you to continue to live in sin. Grace empowers you to be free from sin. That's the true method, um, the true uh, uh, understanding of confession and repentance. And we're going to ask people to come to the Lord. We're going to ask people to come into agreement when you recognize that, hey, I'm not where I need to be. But I want you to understand it's not just I feel bad about myself, I feel bad that I got caught, I'm in trouble, and then God forgive me, and then go do it again. How many people have we known in this church alone, I'm sure there's many others, that just got out of jail, 
And they come and they said, I promised God I was going to go to church. I must start going to church. I must start living for God. And you see them one Sunday and then you never see them again. You know why? Because they're out wallowing in the mire of their own sin. They went right back into what they came out of. And I don't want that to happen to you. And I don't want you to think that that's what, that's what God's given us permission to do, to feel better about myself so that we can go. And, and, and I, I appreciate the people that I, I prayed for. We went to another church. Bobby was there. We prayed for a couple of people. I said, he said, uh, are you here to get right with God? Yeah. He said, are you willing to renounce your sin? He said, well, I want to renounce my sin, but I'm not sure that I won't go back and do it again. And you know what? I appreciate that. More than I do people that said, yeah, 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 knowing the whole time they're going to go back and do it again. Because at least they were honest. I think most of the time, we're not. Oh, man, uh, what's, what are some of the sins of today? What's a big one going around? Uh, pornography. Oh, that's bad. It's terrible. Whoa. Okay, I confess. I let go. And I go right back to it. Come back. Confess. Let it go. And go right back to it. Are you setting up anything in your life? Are you setting up any opportunities for, to keep you away from that? Oh, no, God forgave me. I can do it. I can do it. And there you go again. Or drugs. Or alcohol. Oh, I messed up. Okay? Everybody messes up. We're, we're not against... I mean, I, if you confess your sin, that means that we're going to mess up. I mess up. Right? My mess-ups aren't necessarily in drugs and alcohol and pornography, but my mess-ups can be I get angry, I get terse, uh, you know, uh, I'm a little curt with the way that I talk, you know, those kind of things, you know. Uh, sometimes uh, I like, you know, about, about somebody, you know, uh, just, you know, I have, to, I have to let go of those too. Sometimes my sins aren't sins of commission, they're sins of omission. No, yeah, that's right. Not so much things that I do, but things that I don't do. Still a sin, still wrong. Right? Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. I want to do better. Please help me. Not, thank you for forgiving me. Hey, let's go party. Yeah! Are you hearing what I'm saying? Jesus is the solution for whatever is bid us in life. Jesus was lifted up that whoever would look to him in faith, repenting and confessing their sin, would also receive God's grace. Psalms 103 and 3, who forgives all our iniquity, who heals all our diseases. This grace is God's salvation in Christ. Paul says in Romans 1 and 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes and calls on him. Jesus saved all. Jesus healed all who came to him. Matthew 4, 23 through 24, he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogue, preaching or proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease, every affliction among the people. And so his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. I want you to notice that if somebody had been smoking all their life and they had cancer and they came to Jesus, he didn't say to them, uh, why did you get this cancer? You've been smoking all your life? Nah, I can't help you. You knew this was going to happen. You knew this. I, I'm not going to pray for you. No, he didn't care what they went through. He didn't ask them. If they were old, he didn't ask them, how old are you? 70? No, I can't pray for you. You're already close to dying anyway. But, you know, those are things that we believe. 
I did wrong. Jesus won't heal me because I messed up. I did wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I've been doing this all my life, and Jesus won't heal me. That's not God. Oh, man, I'm already old. Let, let Jesus deal with some of the younger people. That ain't God. You hear what I'm saying? What does it require? Faith. Faith for anybody else? No, faith for, for me. Faith for you. Acts 10, 38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with power, and he went around doing good and healing. Oh, can you say the word all with me? Not all of y'all said it. We even have a word for that. You all. All. All means me. Say that with me. All means me. Who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Romans 10, 9, 11. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That word saved means save, heal, deliver, set free. For with a heart one believes and is justified, and with a mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will, be, will not be put to shame. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast before him. Whoever looks to him in faith will also live and will also be healed. What is faith? It's the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. If I can just get to that pole, even though I've been bit, I will be healed. Why? Because God said it. Mark 9, 23. All things are possible for those who believe. Now, maybe I'm just talking to people up there on the camera. And that's okay. I don't know who's receiving this. Maybe it's somebody that really needs it out there in uh, Afghanistan or Pakistan or Africa. Maybe there's somebody here that needs it as well. Maybe here there are people that are saying, you know what, my life ain't right. I'm going through difficulties, I'm going through afflictions, and I know they're of my own making. And I don't know what to do about it, and I don't know how to get out, but the, real, the reality is you don't have to know, you just have to know who. And that who is Jesus. And Jesus paid a price for your sin, for your salvation, He paid a price for your healing. What do I got to do to be saved? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What do I have to do? Confess your sins, and He'll faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're here and you're going through some kind of physical malady, and maybe you did something wrong, maybe you drank too much Cokes and you got kidney stones, or maybe you smoked too much and you got cancer, or maybe you did too many drugs and you got hepatitis C, or, you know, maybe you're too fat. I should have said that. <laughs> I'm talking to myself. And your knees are killing you. Your back, because that's where I was. And to be honest with you, I can say it more nicely. Oh, I was just a little bit, you know. No, I was fat. I needed God to heal me anyway. I love you. I'm sorry. Forgive me. But it doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter whether you did it or not, or somebody, you know, uh, it doesn't, or somebody says God won't touch you, or somebody has said to you God won't do this for you because you've gone too many times, or you know what, you've did this to yourself. No, God is so merciful and graceful, and He's healed, and He says if anyone will look to Him and get to Him and call on Him, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone in here isn't anyone and an everyone.
And all you got to do is have faith. All you got to do is believe.